Hello, protocols, packets, and programs. October is almost here when we get to tell the scariest stories, read the most horrifying code, and try to survive yet another PowerPoint presentation on cybersecurity awareness. Which means this week we chat with Janet Worthington from Forrester Research about the state of application security education and what could be improved. In the news segment, Oracle Cloud Authorization Bypass, a Python path traversal, a Chrome prototype pollution, a PlayStation zombie flaw, why security products fail, and more. Get spooky and stay tuned for Application Security Weekly. This is Security Weekly, for security professionals, by security professionals. It's the show to learn the latest tools, techniques, and processes necessary to understand DevOps, application security, and cloud security. Your trusted source for the latest application security news. It's time for Application Security Weekly. ThreatLocker is a global cybersecurity leader paving the way for businesses everywhere to implement a zero-trust security solution that not only protects business-critical data, but also helps mitigate cyber attacks. ThreatLocker's unique endpoint solutions help you to work smart and strengthen your security infrastructure from the ground up. ThreatLocker's allow listing, ring fencing, storage control, elevation control, and network access control solutions give you a more secure approach to blocking the exploits of unknown application vulnerabilities. If you're looking to enhance your cybersecurity and stop zero-day vulnerabilities exploiting your data, reach out to a ThreatLocker cyber hero today. Visit securityweekly.com slash ThreatLocker to learn more. Your organization is building and updating business-critical web applications faster than ever. And with so much pressure to move fast, you may find yourself making trade-offs between innovation and security. Now you can build fast without sacrificing security with Invicti, the application security platform that helps your dev, sec, and ops teams work together to secure every website, web app, and API. With unparalleled accuracy, coverage, and automation, Invicti scales like no other AppSec solution. Discover why many of the world's largest organizations innovate securely with Invicti. Visit securityweekly.com slash Invicti. The shift to remote and hybrid work over the past two years has accelerated application development on cloud infrastructure. However, securing these new assets has lagged behind. Qualys CloudView, the next generation cloud security posture management, delivers an end-to-end multi-cloud security and compliance solution encompassing the entire application lifecycle from build to runtime. CloudView enables enterprises to assess their cloud security and compliance posture, identify risks and gaps, auto-remediate issues, proactively enforce best practices, and prove compliance and audits rapidly and efficiently. Identify your most vulnerable cloud assets by visiting securityweekly.com slash Qualys. This is episode 213, recorded September 26, 2022. I'm your host, Mike Shima, and I'm here with John Kinsella. Hello, Mr. John Kinsella. It's Monday again. This keeps happening. It keeps happening. It's like like we're trapped in eternal Mondays. It's, It's like a horror movie gone bad. And speaking of horror movies gone bad, we have Tyler Robinson, which I'm not sure exactly what that means other than welcome, Tyler. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. I will uh, take it, I think. <laughs> That's going to come back to haunt me, I know. Uh, we also have one haunting announcement to read. Don't miss any of your favorite Security Weekly content. Visit securityweekly.com subscribe to subscribe to any of our podcast feeds and have all new episodes downloaded right to your phone. You can also join our mailing list, Discord server, and follow us on social media and our streaming platforms. 
Janet Worthington is a senior analyst for security and risk at Forrester. Janet covers product security, software supply chain, open source security, and DevSecOps. Janet's background is in product management and application security. Hello, Janet, and thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Mike. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, we're looking forward to this conversation as well. After all, it's fall. Students are returning to classes. And um, I think everyone is learning how to fix cross-site scripting, SQL injection, and everything else. It's a computer security problem, right? So um, this might be a short segment. Is this true? Yes. I mean, that was what we would hope, right? <laughs> oh, dear. Um, yes. So maybe not. Um, we actually looked into this here at Forrester. Um, we looked at the top 50 computer science undergraduate programs in the country. And our goal was to see how much security is offered and especially application security and uh, uh, writing secure code. And the reason we wanted to do this is um, we put out a survey every year where we ask security decision makers, how are people, how are you being breached? And, you know, at least two, almost two thirds of companies have experienced at least one breach in the last 12 months. And um, external attacks, the biggest attribution. And in external attacks, unfortunately, it's applications that top the list, um, you know, your typical SQL injection type of bugs and um, open source dependencies. Mm -hmm. And so this just keeps happening year after year. And so we were thinking, you know, is it, you know, why is this happening? And that's why we started doing the research is, are people being taught this when they're doing uh, computer science, you know, in college? And um, spoiler, there's <laughs> zero out of 50 actually require um, a, a code security or an application security course. Not to say there aren't electives, but none require. Yeah, that, and that's crazy. And this is one of those areas, John has mentioned this a lot too, just kind of asking that rhetorical question, where is the education about within the comp sci classes? You did make that distinction there at the end between required versus electives. But even amongst the electives, you know, how many did you see just had security topics or secure coding topics? What did some of the... For for those core, for those programs that do touch on security, what are some of the you know what's it even just touching on there? Yeah, so when it comes to you know most of the fifty offer like general cybersecurity courses, and um, when we talk about cybersecurity, it could be anything from network security, which I think you know, a fair number have, right? I mean, I think we've all, in the industry for a long time, everybody's kind of thought about network security, so I'm not surprised about that. Um, there also tends to be a lot, there tends to be a fair number of cryptography courses, which is great, right? Because you need to make sure that, you know, data is being encrypted properly. And I think it's also a fun topic that kind of crosses over with math. And I do think we see a lot of CS in yeah, math, math classes. Yeah, <laughs> that, um, that crossover. Um, there's some, we see a fair amount in, on databases, you know, computer architecture. But when it comes to like secure coding, uh, there are some colleges that offer, you know, specific secure coding mm -hmm. courses. Um, about nine out of the 50 we found did that. And they're electives. A lot of times, though, what's interesting about these electives is you, you, some of them you have to have 
you'd be in your third or fourth year to take based on like the, you know, mm-hmm. they're like the 300 or 400 levels. So it's interesting that you kind of have to, you kind of have to wait to take them. Now that's not true for all, all of them, but that's one of the patterns we saw. And, uh, certainly there's more at the graduate level, but at the undergraduate level, it's kind of interesting that there aren't more, more of these courses that you can take sort of as intro classes. That is, is, that, is that a failure? Is that a failure of the curriculum being updated? Is that a modification of professors just not being kind of up to speed where we're integrating that secure coding from the very beginning? I mean, obviously they have to learn how to code and a lot of the concepts, but as part of the concepts, you would think that would be an integral part of yeah. getting that done right mm-hmm. from the start. Yeah. And I think there's a to your point, I think there's some missed opportunities, right? There's a lot of programming and web development classes that you could potentially sort of layer in some secure secure coding uh, writing classes um, as sort of part of it and then have other, you know, more structured uh, types of classes where you're maybe learning more advanced topics when it comes to application security, like maybe secure design, right? Which, which would be um, important. I think the, you know, there are again. I don't want to say that there aren't any. There are some out there um, colleges that do offer these these type of classes, um, but I think it's hard. There's a lot of to cover with computer science, right? And so when you look at some of these curriculums, I mean, I took CS. I'm not going to say what decade that was, but it, it was a long time ago. Um, but like, what did we learn? We learned programming. We learned data structures, algorithms, you know, a theory, a lot of theory. Um, and, you know, those courses are still offered now, but now you have so many exciting courses. You know, you've got machine learning, you've got AI. Um, my daughter's in her second year and she's taking uh, one of these programs and she's taking algorithms and uh, quantum engineering. So, like, when you have all of these really cool courses, who's going to be the kid that's like, I would like to elect to take the secure coding class, you know, like, (laughs) not many, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Now, there are some cool security tracks. Some Mm -hmm. of these schools, like um, Georgia Tech, have security tracks. In that security track, you are are likely to potentially, you will probably take a uh, application security course. But if you're not in the tracks, and we're actually seeing more universities go to this kind of track methodology, you may not touch on it at all. Oh, so is that sort of setting up the idea that security is a specialization as opposed to just a foundational part of comp sci? Meaning nobody specializes in quick sort and bubble sort, right? But it's, you know, just basic algorithms, understanding, big O notation, but security isn't the same fundamental. So you know, it's these threads and tracks that you have to, to, to get into if you like security, as it sounds like. That's what it seems like. It does seem seem like that. And um, it's interesting, kind of to your point on that one, Northeastern actually offers a cybersecurity um, bachelor's of science. Pretty cool, right? And, you know, some of the secure coding topics are, are included in that. But not in the computer science part, right? So you want, you know, I, I think it'd be hard to say that we expect developers to be security experts. But I still feel like there's a certain amount of awareness that we could start, we could start incorporating at the undergraduate level. So 
I think the fundamental things that would be very valuable is actually a lot of cross-pollination between mm -hmm. not just CompSci, but any of the, the network admin, sysadmin, yeah. the things that are traditionally having to operate together. If you don't have a full understanding, at least at a base level, if you could actually work in security from the fundamental side of this is how computers work, this is how networks work, this is how you get your application up to a web server. Here's what a web server actually is. And then fundamentally have those teams work together. The developers would be able to interact with the infrastructure people as well as the infrastructure people seeing some of the, the problems with the developers. I think that interoperability very early on would save a ton of people uh, having to learn that on the fly. And uh, that's a steep learning curve for Oftentimes, people that are introverts and or don't like people, they like code or computers better. <laughs> yeah, I know. I think that's a great point. And um, I think as we look at something like cloud computing and cloud security in particular, you know, developers are now running more of the infrastructure than ever before, right? They, they may be the ones doing the infrastructure's code templates. They may be the ones writing that. They may be the ones spinning up the containers, you know? I mean, sometimes you, know, you still have a lot of large organizations that have specialty groups, like you'll have a DevOps team, et cetera, that is separate from developers. But we are seeing, you know, more and more the developers owning everything from the infrastructure to, you know, writing the code. And I think it's important to your point, Tyler, to have that sort of like, larger perspective that you can kind of step back and, and kind of see the bigger picture. I'd, I'd love to also reframe that conversation a little bit that, you know, you're talking about you know, the grad level classes, 200, 300s for talking around security. And those usually frequently, not always, but sort of delve into the crypto side of things, which is advanced, but there, there's a bit of a core fault with the argument that security, you have to be an expert or you have mm -hmm. to have like all these bases in place. I mean, we're going out and we're expecting our users to be able to understand MFA and, you know, encryption and all these type of things. Yet the people who are developing them, we think they have to, that security is not a basic concept. It's something that they have become an expert in. That that seems like there needs to be a little bit of sort of restructuring how we think about that. Well, you can see the maturity model of a lot of these verticals that, that we're ending up with, uh, not just, you know, AI, ML. You look at the, the crypto, the blockchain, a lot of the Web3 development uh, the NFT space, you see all of these and you start to see the security, the exact same security yeah. mistakes that we've made over the last 20 years. And a lot of that is because we've not integrated some of that security fundamentals from the beginning. They're going to make the same mistakes if we're not helping educate that and get them at a better starting point. But again, that comes back to like, how do you actually go about doing that from from a, a practical level? You talk about national education and curriculum. And these, the schools are barely able to communicate between branches of their own uh, colleges or, or undergraduate schools, much less across the a nation. So fundamentally getting this right, uh, the oversight and, and curriculum boards are going to have to be a lot better organized and or there's going to have to be some, some better coordination as far as who's leading the charge on that. Yeah, there's got to be some, some, that's a great time to bring up incentives too, because industry, of course, is spending tons of money on bug bounties, on tools, on scanners, on all these remediation techniques and steps to fix this secure code, insecure code um, that's coming from new hires, junior programmers, even senior programmers that are, you know, making mistakes or don't ne aren't, aren't necessarily have the grounding. So I'm curious, Janet, have you seen incentives or are there ways that industry can help these courses partnerships better or you know a lot of it i think is going to come down to money so you know does everybody just need more money for this or is there a different type of incentive here 
Yeah, I think there's like two parts to that. I think the first part is what um, companies can do to kind of help out at the undergraduate level um, and just cybersecurity in general. And I think the second part, and Tyler, I think you touched on it, is um, what what offerings do you have out there while you're in while you're actually coding that help you to understand you've you know maybe you've made a mistake, right? I mean. We, I hate to liken it to a spell checker, but, you know, when you're writing a document, you get information about your grammar, you know, did you misspell something? There's tools now out there that will plug into your IDE that will tell you things like, hey, you know, this could potentially be a SQL injection. And I think there are tools out there like that. And I think what's important about those tools, and and I'll get back to the, the other part in a second, but I think what's important about those tools is, I don't know about you guys, but I found in college, the, the lectures were good, but it was more the hands-on is how I, is how I learned. Right. I mean, how many people were here in the computer science lab late at night, you know, you're trying to get, you're trying to get a program to work and the debugger goes, it goes, it goes, you know, and you're like, Oh, for heaven's sake. And then finally you get it. And that's how you learn. And so I think these tools um, by kind of slotting in there, they're helping you with that reinforcing message. And the ones that I think are the most advanced are the ones that not only kind of tell you about your code, um, they can also tell you about the software components that you're downloading, your open source components, your third party. They link to interactive training. So they'll go right from those tools right out to interactive training, where again, you're going back to that hands on. So I think that's sort of, I think I've seen the industry try to say, wait a minute, we can't expect developers to come out as like security experts, right? And we have to know that maybe they're not even getting a baseline in college. So if we start with that, how can we help them? I think it would be very valuable for a lot of big company vendors to front load some of this investment that they're paying out in bug bounty and security and even breach mitigation, you can you can calculate and get a quantifiable number around metrics for your return on investment by allowing some of that product offering for maybe a, a low cost or no cost to the colleges. So one, they get familiar with the products out in the industry, leveraging those to bring them on board for job placement, which makes the college also look good, makes the company look good, and it gets their brand awareness out there. But you're also getting some of that secure coding built out right from the box and getting them comfortable with those software packages that you're speaking of so that these these students have an understanding of what they're going to be expected on the job, how to do good secure coding, and they're learning as they go. I think all of this can be front-loaded by a lot of the industry where they're spending money on the back end. They can just move that to the front and get some education out there. Yeah, and to your point, we're actually seeing some of that, right? Um, So, you know, to call out Tufts University, um, surprisingly, they're not on the top 50 list. I was kind of surprised about that for computer science. Um, they, um, a professor named Ming Chao, who's very well known in the security industry, um, he teaches uh, a couple courses on computer security and secure coding. And in his intro to see a computer security class, he actually has, you know, one week you learn about, you know, cross-site scripting and SQL injection. And then the next week you learn how to use the tools that might help you find things, you know, like, 
you know, some of the open source ones that are, there's a plenty of open source, you know, the burp suites mm-hmm. out there, you know, you have zap, you have a ton of these, these free tools. And just like we had for the network side, right. We have Wireshark and map. So like he's getting the, the, the students not only to learn about it, but also to, like you said, Tyler, kind of practice with these tools. And as an organization, what can you do to your point, Tyler, if you're a security company, you not only have tools that you could potentially donate to these schools, but you also have brains, right? You can have your folks maybe partner with the college, you know, to help, you know, broaden some of these offerings, um, as well as, you know, when you offering internships, right? And again, that's like that hands-on point of aspect. But if you are doing an internship in computer, you know, bring somebody on for software development, have help them learn some of these tools while they're, you know, while they're doing their internship. Um, and then you can also, one thing that I think is really cool is companies that uh, sponsor capture the flag events. So, you know, like, it, cause it gets, you know, that little bit of a competitive sphere going and you can, you know, you're trying to actively find the bad things. Right. And, you know, I think Veracode does a great job of this. They actually have their own, um, gaming software. It's sort of like a gamed version of learning software security, um, that they have like a two week, um, offering on that and they give away real prizes, right. To go back to incentives. I mean, you as a, you know, with these comp, these colleges that compete can win, win real money. So absolutely. I think, you know, there's a lot that your companies can do to um, support the industry so that so that students are learning even before they go into the job market. Yeah, I, I love that you mentioned the, you know, the, the little red squiggle in the IDE that says this might be, this is the, the you know, the secure coding feedback that uh, a la grammar. But you're also th- there at the end describing um, like CTFs, hackathons, or hacking examples. And, you know, we, we may be creating a whole bunch more Tylers, which, you know, I, I don't think Tyler will, will, will object to. We definitely need some more people breaking software. But I'm curious, of the courses that you <laughs> looked at was there uh, was there this bias towards the breaking software because those are the fun hands-on labs there's just like there's a pedagogical aspect to just I want to break this you know tear it down burn it down everyone can see sm- Tyler smiling as I'm describing this versus the um, maybe the the secure design and you know this is what you know service to service authentication looks like you know the things that you know secure protocol design that that I'm I'm possibly underselling them I do think these those could be fun but I'm just curious if you saw a distinction in the focus of the type of security that the um, that, that's being presented. Yeah, I think it tends to your point to be a little bit more on the offensive side in certain areas. Um, but I do think that you know a lot of this security can be weaved into like you know they, with network security, right? Like you'll have both. You'll have to learn the offensive part as well as the the defensive part, but. I think that just naturally, you know, with things like hackathons and, you know, something like a capture of the flag, I think, I, you know, the nice thing about something like that is you only not only do the find the issue, you have to fix it. So I think it's it's a little bit harder to, you know, maybe get people interested necessarily in the secure coding part of it. But I think it's definitely doable. And there's, you know, definitely colleges out there that are doing it. I think Harvard kind of has an intro course. It's not required that, you know, you can learn about basic principles of, you know, application security along with a number of other items where you're kind of getting, getting exposed Mm -hmm. to it. 
I think that's one thing that we do need to change as an industry, right? That dichotomy of the almost the varsity players, the football mm-hmm. players, like that that aspect of what's glamorous versus what's not. Like we don't need all these breakers. Yes, it, it is a little it is a little bit of fun, like I'm not gonna lie. On the other side of that, like we need a lot of people building stuff and to build something securely, make it work and have it like function doing high level and, and very secure operations, like that should be just as rewarding. And I think if we took away some of the mindset and the stigma around the glamorous side of hacking and, and the darker side of things, like inherently there's always going to be that that draw to the the riskier side of things for certain people. But a lot of that is is a stigma that yeah. the mindset just needs to change and we need to adopt that and and make heroes out of the the good guys. And the people not well recognized rather than the one or two off, you know, varsity football players that are, you know, make that one throw and it's cool. Like all of the things that it took to get up to that point, like let's make that cool for everybody else as well. Security jokes. <laughs> no, I think that's great. And I wonder then, you know, what would be to, to, to lean into that a bit more, what would create that ideal AppSec course instead of just the focus on CTF? What, what would be some of those areas either that already exist that you've seen, Janet, or I'm curious if John and Tyler, if there's a particular topic or angle that this would be part of that, that intro to AppSec? Yeah, I um, I think I kind of go back to, you know, first just awareness, mm. just general cybersecurity awareness. I think that's important um, as a part of any any of this. Um, but then kind of diving more into some of the more common OWASP issues that we're seeing. And so, unfortunately, injection attacks, even, you know, even... And today, we're still seeing a fair yeah. amount of those. And why are those a problem? And then when you get into, I just did some research on serverless security, and injection mm-hmm. and problems is one of the biggest things because now you're getting different payloads from different places as a serverless function. And so, you know, there's not just one place that you have to, it's not just your SQL code that you have to worry about. So I think kind of giving folks an awareness of like what, why these things are a problem. You know, what can possibly happen? What are some of the common flaws that we saw out there and how are they actively being used um, is, I think, important. And I would say you can't not think about open source, right? I mean, everybody uses open source tools. Everybody uses open source libraries and dependencies. You know, you have to know that before you download something, you've got to understand what you're downloading. So I think sort of those sort of basics, I think is just a a great place to start. And then also trying to use some of the tools that can help you. I think part of the trick is going to be, and I'll use my word, but how do you make that sexy? And put another adjective in there, I don't care. But how do you make that something that people want to do, right? The stuff that Tyler was talking about, like everyone likes the quarterback, right? Like he, there's a reason he's like lift up on people's shoulders and on the front page of the news. How do we make the rest of, you know, as you were saying at the beginning, the, the security nerd who's going to take the elective class, how do you make that elective class something that people want to take, right? Um, no examples off the top of my head, but I know there's member classes in college, like an elective, everyone would be like, I want to take that class. It looks super cool. How do we make security like that? Um, and I think part of that is getting rid of some of the basics, like the, you know, it's more, we, we talk on here a lot about like, you know, secure by default and things like that. Like, let's actually fix some of these basic issues, memory management and things like that, memory-related issues. And then somehow we need to figure out a way to highlight some of the others that like, okay, yes, there, there's parts of being a a surgeon that's like absolutely horrible and nobody wants to do. 
but still you get to like go and do cool things in people's brains and like save their lives. So like there's, what's the equivalent of that in, in computer science, computer security? I think it would be really cool to see starting from the opposite side of this, like let's show some really good coding, some really secure apps, how intricate designs can can actually get so that you're you're looking at what good fundamentals actually are and what a really cool app that is securing something, you know, crazy like, you know, this is securing $500 billion of crypto asset or, or you know, this is doing, you know, high speed multi transaction on a uh, known exchange platform, like doing really cool things and, and showing the product of something well built, I think is a, a interesting side. So people want to build something and they, they have that kind of competition or competitive side of, I want my apps to all be this secure. I want to think and, and design everything from that security standpoint because they have a good reference point. I think a lot of people just don't have a great reference point to start with because they're just trying to learn how to do this and what they're provided for reference is usually pretty horrible. That's an interesting point because, you know, to my mind, two things that come are uh, WebAssembly, like how do you do sandboxing and WebAssembly? Uh, it's definitely can be a bit tough maybe for in, for intro level programming, but maybe I'm also yeah, being Mike, a bit how pessimistic. how do you do WebAssembly? Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, the, but there are... Good, interesting design choices there in the sense of where, you know, memory management, restricted access to file system networking. There's some good concepts there. And then browsers, of course, are the modern operating system, if you will. So uh, just to study a browser design would be that 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 would take years and years, but maybe it's just something like message passing. Um, One of the things that we haven't touched on at all, which I'm a little bit surprised of, so I'll just broach it right here, is the languages that have been uh, studied. It doesn't sound like there's been either a pro or con that that everyone's decided to stop teaching C and C++ or Pascal or Fortran for that matter, and they moved into Go or Rust or Java or Python. Is is does the has the language made any impact or a difference in types in the sense of how we're teaching or where the security comes from? And I'm curious, Janet, if you've just seen that as one of the dimensions of just whether CompSci in general or the secure coding courses uh, more specifically. Yeah, well, what's interesting is I think um, Python is just a very popular language now. And I think it's it's popular with data science as well. So, you know, that we talk about computer science too, but there's, you know, these offshoots um, that we're seeing and most, a lot of data science programs rely on Python and, you know, Python's neither better or worse than any other language when it comes to security for the most part. But a lot of the libraries that Python depends on, there are a lot of open source, you know, that you can grab and use to, to make your programs. Those tend to have, you know, based on some of the reports that we're seeing, they can have a fair number of known vulnerabilities in them. So I think, um, I think these the professors are trying to like get with the times and stay stay up to date. I didn't see any on Go, but I didn't necessarily look specifically for that language. But you know, I I do think there are some tools and some languages um, that probably are better, like Rust potentially. Um, but my understanding is that's a, I've never coded in it, but my understanding is it's pretty complicated to code in. So you know what you're trying to do is I think one of the biggest, and I'd be interested in what you guys think of this. From what I have seen is one of the biggest problems with security is it's hard to, we make it 
so hard to understand, right? Like we talk in a way that I think makes it seem like it's very complicated. And I think we kind of need to like switch how we talk about it and talk Mm. about it more from the developer perspective. And I think kind of goes back, John, to your point about like, how do we make it something that's more accessible to people and developers? Well, maybe using their language a little bit more and, you know, maybe some of these security stuff that we talk about, maybe just kind of peppering them in while you're doing programming languages, you know, while you're doing it, whatever it is you're doing, um, sort of having some of those tools in place to kind of maybe help you identify stuff or maybe just kind of having like a, you know, part of the course, just talk about that a little bit. But I, I do feel like, you know, we've kind of made security a little bit inaccessible and I'd love to see it be more accessible um, to everyone. And I think that starts by, to your point, Tyler, not necessarily like saying, oh, the person who broke it is like the super smartest, right? Because it only takes one, one, you know, one goal, right? But like you could be saving hundreds and hundreds of goals, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, nobody goes and talks about that. So I do think there's a way we kind of need to flip it. And that is kind of why I'm glad to see that the AppSec industry has tried at least to kind of move more towards the developers, help while you're writing code, help you understand while you're pulling down that open source library, um, you know, what's going on, and then kind of give you information while you're in the moment to, to help you fix it. So, I mean, I'm not sure if there's a language per se that people should be using over others. I think it's more yeah. of just an awareness. I think that awareness around good security with inside of languages should be one of the considerations that is brought to people trying to learn languages. I think that's one of the missing parts. Like everyone just wants to learn, you know, either what's taught, what they've seen, or or what's uh, interesting at the time. You know, call it Go, call it Rust. Python's always in there. Like, is there a good reason? Is there other languages that you should be looking at where you're uh, leveraging some of the security implications or some of not even the security side, but the the feature sets and security minded things, things like libraries, validating you know different libraries being deployed. Like this is going to become an issue in the near future. I mean, with the federal government moving to having to validate all of these different applications and libraries being deployed and hardware being deployed. All these things are going to eventually become something that students have to think about. Uh, and if they're not prepared for that or they've went down you know, the rabbit hole of a, a language that may or may not support some of that, that can actually have pretty big implications for them later on down the road. Yeah, and this is where I, I like to make my pitch for, uh, I love the network security aspects and protocols. And even just the idea, look at HTTP 1 versus HTTP 2 versus HTTP 3. And just the sense of HTTP 1 has a lot of ambiguity in the spec. Um, so how do you program to that ambiguity? You know, HTTP 3 is on top of UDP. So suddenly, what you know, it's unreliable, but not in modern networks. And it has framing, has a lot of interesting uh, topics that you could bring up in terms of ordering data, uh, overlapping data, handling frames, memory offsets. So I think there's, and it, you could say, go implement this in the language of your choice and understand a lot of those, where are security boundaries and where they are not as well. And they're in terms of, nope, no authentication here, no authorization here, just a, just a framing, just some data getting passed around. That cross-training to the, to the network and other aspects of, of how the implications of what protocol and language you use, that's, 
that becomes super important and again often not uh, cross taught so yes so Janet looking look, looking forward um, you you looked at the the top 50 we talked a lot about the US um, I, I think colleges right now is there is there any hope uh, you know uh, do we have is, is number 51 52 you mentioned actually a couple that weren't in the top 50 that are have good programs so are there things that we could be looking towards as an industry to say here is a program that's doing pretty well or this is a good area to emulate or or you know build off of or, or invest more in well I think cybersecurity in general right like I mean I, I think you know I talk a lot about application security and secure coding mm-hmm. but I think we just need to do more with cybersecurity and Tyler to your point the executive order definitely highlighted that and I think there are college the colleges are trying to do that I think again I think John you brought this up it shouldn't be something that's like a, you know you're either a security expert and you know computer with computer science or you're not right it should be something that's woven into the different different classes and you know, um, what like a shout out to the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. They actually have a scholarship for cybersecurity. Oh, um, but again, it's something obviously you have to apply for and opt into. But I think the more we can talk about cybersecurity, the more we can sort of raise awareness. And then when you get into the industry, I think it is up to the organizations to do more, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't expect everybody to come in with a certain level. You have to make sure you're using the tools. And one thing that I love about Netflix, and it kind of goes a little bit to tell what you were saying, is they have this idea of paved roads, right? What are the yeah. what are the libraries I should be using? Give me the secure tools to do the authentication and authorization. Why as a developer do I have to go out and figure out which one's the best one to use, right? I'm not spending all day on that, right? Mm-hmm. The security folks are. So I do think the organizations, when it comes to things like application security, have things that they can do um, to put more thought to make it, you know, that security by design means that you have to give people the tools early on and it, you know, in what they're working with, right? They shouldn't have to go to a different tool set. They shouldn't have, they should, everything should kind of be there for them. And that's how I think we need to flip the script just in general is kind of going back to that developer methodology. We need to think about empathy for the developer and, and coming from that point of view. So in general, I think we are seeing more schools do cybersecurity, which is exciting. We actually are seeing more industry care about cybersecurity. Microsoft actually launched a national campaign with community colleges, which is exciting to recruit um, a cybersecurity workforce. They're going to try and help um, sort of close that gap on the 250,000, you know, shortage we have in security jobs in the United States. Now, they're not all going to end up working for Microsoft, but Microsoft is going to be trying to help pair with that community. So I think, you know, that's a great way. And then I'd be remiss, Mike, and I don't, this is, this is my time to talk about it, but I'm an analyst. All we do is talk. Um, <laughs> we are seeing, I, I want to talk about accessibility and security when it comes mm. to women in underrepresented Please. groups. I've, uh, when I got into security, I was super intimidated. And this is working with, you know, I had been working with developers and architects all along, which can be, in software, can be kind of, uh, you know, a little intimidating in itself. But there's something different about security. We kind of you know, notch it up a level when it comes to inaccessibility, I feel like. And there are programs like Women in Security and Privacy Group that are trying to make this more accessible. And there's one called She's Security. It's just one day after a a CS boot camp, you go and, you know, you're running Burp Suite just to see what it's like. We have to break down this thing as Tyler that you're talking about is like, it doesn't have to be the quarterback, right? You know, there's not, they're not, 
they shouldn't, it's the whole team that we need to think about. And so I think more companies need to be doing more with these groups, with women in security and privacy and Forrester's trying to like help as well. We're trying to put our the money where your mouth is. I don't know what the right term is. Um, but we are running a security and risk forum down in DC, no, November 7th through the 8th. And we're trying to give away a couple scholarships, probably to local, fo- to local um, folks in the area who are underrepresented to come to these forums to learn about these different security tracks. I mean, they're going to be, you know, some really cool ones. Mine's on the this is exciting. Uh, wait for it. Um, this software security supply chain essentials. <laughs> N- okay, maybe I'll not go. as not I'll as go. exciting as I thought it was going to be when I said it out loud. We'll throw in but some there are a lot yeah. of <laughs> other cool ones. Let me tell you, there'll be other cool cooler ones there. Um, but I think we all need to do that. I think we all need to just kind of reach out, and whether you're donating your time, you're donating money, you're donating just awareness that. We don't have a lot of women in security, and it's a tough landscape, um, and underrepresented groups. Sorry, not just women. but um, So I think there's more to do there um, just in general, and I think that starts at the undergraduate level. You know, you don't, we don't see a ton of women necessarily in a lot of certain schools better than others. I think Tufts has 50-50 CS men to women. Um, Wellesley, where I went to school, all women. Um, economics used to be the, the number one major. Now it's computer science. Yay us. Um, but it shouldn't, you shouldn't have to go to an all women's college to get, to feel like you can contribute. Um, so in general, I think, uh, we need to talk more about computer science with women and cybersecurity as well. No, yeah, thank you for that. And we've got uh, link, links to that, wisporg.com in the show notes. And uh, we can also, you mentioned um, the Day of Security. There's also Girls Who Code, Black Girls Code, a lot of organizations that can use support as well as, I think, just to reiterate that getting getting away from the stigma that the, the coolest and the best are the either Tylers out there. Sorry to pick on you again, Tyler. But doing the breaking, there is a lot of specialization. Clearly in, you mentioned, Janet, uh, serverless. There's also, you know, we could broaden that to cloud, broaden that to, we could talk about, there's a whole pillar of containerization, there's um, Kubernetes, there's this whole cryptography angle where we could talk about the ancient ancient protocols of Kerberos versus more modern areas of identity and zero proofs. And all of these belong into the under the umbrella of security, and it not, not to mention the least of which is like the the chaos monkey, security monkey that's coming out of Netflix, those paved roads. So a lot of fun things to work on. So yes, thank you so much for highlighting that. And I guess, you know, that that was, I think, perhaps your, your final pitch there by definitely, rather than filibuster at the end, let me give you uh, the, the final word here, uh, Jan. Any, any other parting, parting thoughts or, or calls to action for our audience? Well, I just want to thank you guys for having me on. Um, I do listen to your your talk every week, and so it's great to to be on here. And yeah, I would just think that you know organizations. There's a lot organizations can do with universities and with undergraduate students to help them. You know, whether it's internships, you know, capture the flag events, etc. Um, but also once you have folks in the working world, you still have to give them that reinforced learning, and that comes with you know tools and you know more interactive, fun training than the e-learning PowerPoint slides that we're all 
so afraid of. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, indeed. Yes, well, thank you very much, Shannon. And for anyone who's going to be in D.C. around November, uh, give her a thanks in person and um, and definitely do attend some some software supply chain essentials. There's (laughs) the titles may not be the the coolest thing in the world. but the topics are. So yes, thank you, Janet. Thanks, John and Tyler, for joining us as well. Thanks everyone for listening. We're going to take a quick break and then return with news of the week. 